Thank you, Gary, for your testimony. The way that you have stirred our hearts today. I'm reminded of the importance and of the, the value that friends and family and church community plays in those moments where things don't seem to be going right and where we have nothing but, but God. And that God draws him to himself. And he uses his people, he uses relationships so many times to be the, the physical touch of God that we need to take care of our needs, to, to hold us and to cry with us and to encourage us. I'm reminded of Ecclesiastes chapter 4. It says, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. For if either of them falls, the one will lift up his companion. But woe to the one who falls when there is not another to lift him up. Furthermore, if two lie down together, they keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? And if one can overpower him who is alone, two can resist him. Certainly these verses reflect and refer to friendship, but also I think they refer and they give us a picture into that, that marriage covenant between a man and a woman and the relationship that they would share. And so it's appropriate as we begin to ask God to give us those glimpses of Easter that we turn our attention to the prophet Hosea today and of his marriage now I have to pause here and, and say that uh, Gay and I are celebrating 25 years of marriage this week, and, or we're going to celebrate this week, our anniversary is on the 24th, but I didn't time these things together at the same time, so there's no references here. Gay's a wonderful woman that I love, of great honor, and, uh, but we are, uh, we're excited to be able to share and to reflect and to celebrate God's love that He's given us to share with one another. And so, with that in mind, as we reflect on Gary's testimony, it, it causes us to, I think, to value and to appreciate the depth of, of those key relationships in our life. And that when things come in between those relationships, when separation comes, when infidelity comes, there is great hurt and there is great pain and there is great brokenness that follows. And so let's, let's keep that in mind as we enter into the text today, into the story of Hosea. We begin just in, cha- in chapter 1, verse 2. When the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go, take of yourself a wife of harlotry and have children of harlotry, for the land commits flagrant harlotry, forsaking the Lord. Wow. This book starts with a difficult passage to understand, and and certainly there are are many ways that uh, interpreters and and scholars have tried to understand uh, God's assignment to Hosea. But as I've studied, as I've reflected through this, as we've tried to understand this this word of harlotry, certainly I think it's a reflection of the culture of that day. The reality is, I think, is that, that Gomer, his wife, came out of the 
religious tradition of the day. Out of the Baal worship of the day. In which many times young women were given to the temple and they were called into what might be, we call today, temple prostitution. And it may be that Gomer was, was not so much involved in, in this practice. Maybe she was a child that, that grew up into the te- in, the, in the temple whose, whose mom was a temple prostitute. But anyway, the, 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 the belief of scholars is that somehow Gomer was related to this Baal worship. And the word of the Lord comes to Hosea to go and to take a, a, a woman of harlotry or an adulterous woman or a woman of promiscuity. And then he goes on in verse 2 to explain. Because why? Because the land, in the land he refers to the people, because the people of Israel are guilty of the vilest adultery. Because they have left the Lord. You see, Homer and Hosea, excuse me, I get those letters mixed up, Hosea and Gomer provide a picture, a metaphor, an analogy of the Lord and of His people Israel. Hosea has been called, as others, a symbolic prophet in which God acts through Hosea's life to demonstrate the truth of the world and of the people of that day. And the story of Hosea and Gomer is a powerful story. It is a powerful story that reflects a powerful truth. Remember the Scriptures and the stories of God's prophets and of people are always in the act of revealing to us the nature and the character of God. And we need to remember that the story of Hosea is revealing to us who God is. And in this book we discover and it's revealed to us that God is person. That God is relational. You see, the Baal culture of that day presented gods who were powerful, who were selfish, and who needed to be appeased. These gods of Baal were to be feared if you didn't appease them. But the God of Israel, however, invites us to know and to be known by Him. You see, God created us. He created us out of love. And He calls us to to know and to love Him. And because God created us for a love relationship with Himself, He suffers. He suffers as an unfaithful husband, even as an unfaithful wife, as the case may be. But in this metaphor, He suffers as as a husband over an unfaithful wife who would mock and scorn His love and who would mock and scorn the covenant relationship, the covenant faithfulness that God, that a husband would expect. You see, this this is a new kind of God. God is revealing Himself in new ways through Hosea and Gomer's story. Of course, the Scripture mentions that they are to have children. Their names are significant as we, we move through the passage. I think that the story of, of Homer and of, of Hosea and Gomer, I think it starts in a relationship of fidelity. 
And this is where some interpreters would have some, some different ideas, but follow with me. I think that, that Hosea and Gomer begin as, as all of us would. It's an analogy of, of, of God with Israel. I think that Israel begins her relationship with, with God faithfully as they enter into covenant relationship. We see in the birth of their first child, a child, a, a son, that's named Jezreel. Now, I know that naming our children is one of the great things and the important things that we do in life, isn't it? And, and it seems like we all kind of have a, a, a different way in which we approach that. Now, Gay and I, as you know, have been blessed with four children. We chose to, to honor those in our family who've gone before us. Six of the eight names that we have, have given to our children are names that somehow relate to family members, those who've gone before us. Um, Morgan is named, has, that's the surname of, of Gay's mother's family. Wilson, he enjoys the surname of my father's mother's family. Jennifer is named after Gay, Jennifer Gay. And Alyssa carries the middle name of my of my mother. So we've tried to, to honor our family members for those who've gone before us. Now my sister went a different route. Her first name was D Darcy and she married a, a, a man named Dusty Delso and so they named all of their kids with D's. Now some of us choose to, to name names by what we like, what sounds good. Maybe we have a, there's a scriptural or a faith meaning behind the names of our children. There's all kinds of, of ways that we would name our children but, but our names have significance. They have meaning. They're given for a purpose. And so it's really fascinating what Hosea names his children. Jezreel. Jezreel means literally, God scatters. It carries with it this idea that judgment is coming as we read the text. Now the valley of Jezreel is the place where Yehu defeated the house of Omri in order to become king of Israel. Now what that, what that means is that the current king, the current king of Israel, is the third descendant of the line of Yehu. And so what, what is being prophesied, what is being predicted here by Hosea with the naming of his first son is that judgment is coming to Israel. And that the nation, the people of Israel, the northern kingdom, are going to receive their just due because of the way in which their current king, the line of kings, came to power. And prophesying that even in the valley of Jezreel, later battles will take place there that end to the demise of this nation. This was the name of the first son, but then... A second comes. In fact, it's a, a daughter. The Scripture tells us that the daughter's name is Lo-Ruhamah. Now, it's interesting, this word. I, I think it's where we would see that there's relationships, issues between Hosea and Gomer that are beginning to take place. For you see, this name means not beloved. It can also be translated as, as someone who is to be unpitied. Or, or someone who we would share, we would not be compassionate towards. It means uncompassionate. Now the Hebrew word refers specifically to the womb love of a mother. The natural love of a mother toward her daughter. 
In other words, this daughter would not experience the love of a mother. Would cause into challenging love of a father even. Questions, maybe questions about who her father was. Maybe questions that Gomer at this point, her love, her her feelings towards her husband were beginning to dissipate and she was beginning to maybe long for those days and those years back in the temple. And so maybe a mother who despised the child in her own womb. So when this child came forth, she was not loved. She was not pitied. And it's interesting that the Scripture tells us as soon as this baby girl was weaned, that the mother became pregnant again. The third child is named Lo-Ami, which simply means not my people, not my son. You see, Gomer's sin and shame are now before her and Hosea in the birth of this son. And it appears as we come to this critical point at the, at the, towards the end of chapter 1 that this is the breaking point in which Gomer leaves Hosea and returns to whatever relationship, whatever adulterous affair or whatever lifestyle it was that she had previously, she returns to this. Breaking the heart of her husband through her own unfaithfulness, her own adultery. And then we have a break in the story, and, and it's as if the story of, of, Homer, of Hosea and Gomer in chapter 1 and chapter 3 are separated by some understanding of what's going on spiritually in God's relationship with His own people of Israel. And it's fascinating that in chapter 2, verse 1, that the, that the Lord cries out to who? Cries out to Ami and to Ruhamah. Now notice these are almost the same names that Hosea's children are called. The Lord is crying out to His people, Ami. The Lord is crying out to those who continue to be compassionate and loved of God. This is the remnant. This is the the faithful people of Israel. And God is calling out to the faithful people of Israel to be aware of their unfaithful mother, Israel. And so in chapter 2, it demonstrates and shows us what is coming before Israel. That the punishment, the consequences of, their, of her infidelity is going to be before the people. But also, as we read further into chapter 2, a picture of God's compassion and faithfulness. You see, as we read chapter 2, we understand that condemnation, and restor- that, that condemnation is not the end of what God wants, but rather the restoration of His people. So let's move forward to chapter 3 in, in this story. Reflecting on Hosea's faithfulness, chapter 1, I mean verse 1, Go again, the Lord says to Hosea, Go again and love a woman who is loved by her husband, yet an adulteress. You see, as, as we read this passage, I think it's, it's quite clear that, that Hosea still loves Gomer. He has been hurt. He has been broken by her infidelity, by her unfaithfulness. 
But he still loves his wife. He still loves the one who has hurt him, the one who has abandoned him, the one who has brought shame upon him and his children. He still loves Gomer. And Gomer sends Hosea to redeem her. Again, we're not, we're not clear exactly what, uh, what, what Gomer went back to. Did she go back to the temple? Did she engage in, in an adulterous relationship? Some would suggest that she went back and became a, a concubine slave. But the Lord says, Hosea, go and redeem the wife that you love. Go and redeem the wife who's an adulteress. Isn't it interesting that the law tells, tells Hosea that he could put her to death by stoning. Yet instead, he seeks her out to redeem her and to ransom her. Hosea gives Homer, Gomer new life. Hosea is the one who pays the price. He pays the price of a slave so that Gomer can be redeemed You see, Hosea's faithfulness is costly. Gomer is the one who is unfaithful, yet it is Hosea who goes to pay the price to redeem her and to buy her out of whatever slavery that she has allowed herself to get into. Don't you see the glimpse of Easter faithfulness that's in this story? You see, today's story of of Hosea and Gomer offers a glimpse into the relationship that we can have with God. It offers a glimpse into the relationship that we have with God even when we are the ones that are unfaithful. You see, if we're honest, we must confess that we are better suited to play the role of Gomer than of Hosea. You see, we are the adulterous people who stand before a holy and a righteous God. Yet as we read this story, we must understand that this is not a story of condemnation. Rather, this is a story of grace and of faithfulness. This is an Easter story. Why? Because it tells us that God's love does not stop with judgment, but rather it moves through judgment and beyond judgment to offer redemption and reconciliation. You see, God's final word to His people... God's final word to His unfaithful, adulterous people is not judgment and condemnation, but rather renewal and hope and new names. Look back up into chapter 2, verse 23. It's it's not real obvious in our English translation, but it, it really steps out as we've had a chance to to listen to these names of Hosea's children. The Lord is talking about this new day. This new day when His people will return to Him. And He says, I will sow her for Myself in the land, and I will also have compassion on her who who had not obtained compassion. And I will say to those who were not My people, You are My people. And they will say, You are My God. Did you catch all that? Jezreel. Jezreel means God will scatter. 
God will scatter at a time of judgment. But Jezreel also means that God sows. And so there's, there's a promise. There's a time when God's people will return to Him and God will not scatter them, but rather God will then sow and plant and bring about a harvest for His people. And He will have compassion. All those who've been named Lo, um, Lo Ruhami, Ruh, Ruhama. Sorry about that. All those who have that name will now be called Ruhama, Beloved. And you will feel and experience compassion. And for all of you that don't know who your people are, don't know who your Father is, there will come a time when you will be Ami, my people. And you see, this is good news. This is the hope that we have in Christ and in God. That no matter how unfaithful we've been, no matter how adulterous we've been, the good news of Easter, the good news of the prophet Hosea, is that God will restore and redeem. Yes, there is a judgment. Yes, there is time for consequences to be experienced. But that is not the final word. The final word is that God sows, and God loves, and God claims us to be His people. Charles Poole offers this insight on grace in in the relationship between Hosea and Gomer. He says that grace is a stubborn love It's a stubborn love that outlives and outlasts our sin. Grace, however, does not indulge or dismiss sin. Rather, it deplores sin and it causes us to confess our sin and to turn from our sin. The unfaithfulness of Gomer resulted in depths of degradation, humiliation, shame, and grief that I suspect Gomer never would have imagined. Isn't that the way sin is? Oh, it's so enticing. It's so welcoming. Sin just says, oh, just this one time and everything's going to be okay. Or, or it's not going to be that bad. You'll be able to handle the consequences. Yet Gomer discovered that her sin brought great heartbreak and pain. And she brought that upon Hosea who experienced a brokenness, who experienced a heartache, who experienced a sense of violation that could never be forgotten. And you see, we must remember this, that whenever we pursue grace and forgiveness, we must always begin in that spot. We must always begin with acknowledging our own woundedness, our own hurt, and our own pain. Events on campus this last week have captured... Not just the imagination and the attention of us in Norman, but across the, wor- across the world, across the nation. The issue of racism has reared its ugly head. It has revealed prejudices and evils that lurk beneath the heart and the soul and the mind of all of us. Oh. We all acknowledge that if, if we had known, if they had known that, that the cameras were rolling, that that wouldn't have taken place, right? And so we need to be careful when we point the fingers at others because that same kind of darkness, those same kinds of prejudices exist within us. 
And we must acknowledge that. And we must acknowledge our own hurt and our own pains and our own angers when we experience this kind of racism or prejudice or whatever it is that we experience. But the Scripture tells us to be angry, but do not sin. The Scripture tells us to work towards justice. And certainly, right just judgment. But the Scripture also tells us that we're to work and to lead us to grace and forgiveness and redemption and new life. And so as our campus continues to go through these issues, as as old scars and as old wounds are ripped apart, as new things come to the surface, let us pray. Let us pray that righteousness will take place. Let us us pray that, that right things will happen. But let us also pray for love and for grace and for forgiveness and for redemption. You see, through Christ, redemption is possible. Redemption can be complete. We are declared righteous. We are declared redeemed. But we must then work towards that. And the reality is is that sin always leaves scars. Hosea loved Gomer, but he acted in such a way to bear the cost of her redemption to bring her new life and new opportunities. Thus, Hosea symbolizes the activity of God through Christ to bear on the cross our sin and through the resurrection of Christ from the tomb to give us new life as well. The warning for us today is that we can and we must never leave the God who loves us for the gods that are luring us to idolatry and unfaithfulness. Even so, when we are at our worst, when we are Gomer at her worst, we can never keep God from being at His best in loving us. See, the story of Easter is how God redeems us from our sin and our idolatry. We must believe and receive His work on our behalf. You see, the Spirit of God is with us this morning. And there's no need for any of us to wait until Easter Sunday to do anything spiritually. Today can be the day of our salvation. Today is the day that Gomer can be redeemed. Today is the day we can come back to our God and to our Lord. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of freedom from that which enslaves and imprisons us. This is the story of Hosea and Gomer. And certainly this is our story. Let's pray.